Hi everyone, you're listening to the Health and Wellbeing Podcast. I hope everyone is doing well. These podcasts will feature discussions on various health conditions, health tips and nutrition from a naturopathic perspective. Sometimes it's just me, sometimes I'm interviewing guests and I hope to all the time share with you information on health and well-being with the aim to empower and educate. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath and you can find me on naturopathnsw.com.au. This is the very first podcast and today we're talking about thyroid health. Please remember that all information is general and not a specific recommendation that replaces consulting with a practitioner. Please talk to your healthcare practitioner before undertaking any changes to your treatment regime. Okay, so great. So thanks so much for letting me interview you today. This is really exciting. So for anyone who doesn't know Lisa, she's a naturopath. She's a university qualified naturopath and she specializes in thyroid and adrenal health. She comes from a unique place because she's actually suffered from both hyperthyroid and Hashimoto's thyroid herself. And so she's used conventional medicine and naturopathic medicine to heal herself. We went to uni together, so we've got really similar approaches to health as well, which is very exciting and I know that Lisa's just so fantastic when it comes to thyroid conditions that I just really wanted to interview you. I know I know that thyroid is just such it's an epidemic at the moment as well. Like we've got around five point three out of a hundred males and twenty seven point three out of a hundred females experiencing thyroid dysfunction in Australia. I actually think that there's a lot more people who have um, thyroid symptoms that aren't getting diagnosed with a thyroid condition because the numbers with the actual condition are based on where thyroid disease has been diagnosed with hormone imbalances found through blood tests. So I want to go into this a bit more later, but the current method of diagnosis can let a lot of thyroid cases slip through the cracks, in particular hypothyroidism. Because thyroid levels can fluctuate throughout the day and false negatives can often occur in blood tests. And if you take into consideration factors such as symptom picture, physical examination, basal body temperatures, along with like a full proper blood thyroid panel, then the rate of hypothyroidism could be considered to be as high as 25% in the adult population and significantly higher in the elderly. So, I mean, thyroid disorders are a really common issue I see in clinic. And one of the things I'm seeing is that these people who are experiencing symptoms don't actually have a diagnosis. Is is this something that you're seeing? Yes, Alison, definitely. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people coming in and they're feeling tired. Um, They're suffering from mood disorders such as depression and anxiety. They may have um, weight gain, particularly in that abdominal region and things like hair loss. And they're very vague symptoms that can fit into, I guess, a lot of different Uh, conditions and they haven't been diagnosed as um, having a thyroid disorder simply because you know TSH may not have been taken in a blood test or it may have been tested but it may have come up as normal or subclinical but frequently I don't know about you but I certainly see normal TSH but then the presence of thyroid antibodies and abnormalities with reverse T3 and other blood markers so I feel like um, the testing isn't actually being comprehensive enough and the whole symptom picture isn't being looked at well enough because, as you know, thyroid hormones govern every single cell in the body. So if the thyroid isn't working efficiently, then it's going to affect every other system in the body. Yeah, definitely. And with like with TSH, it can be artificially suppressed with a lot of problems that go along with thyroid conditions as well, like insulin resistance and inflammation, high, high cortisol with stress as well. So 
if you're getting someone that ha- just has a routine screening of just simply TSH that can come back as looking all normal and then the labs aren't going to want to do your T3, your T4 and um, what's important for us as well is your antibodies which I find the antibodies to be a better indicator of thyroid dysfunction rather than the TSH alone and then definitely the reverse T3. Yeah, absolutely. So what what would you um, describe, like t- reverse T3 isn't something that a lot of people know about. Could you explain that? Oh <laughs> um, so reverse T3 is something I frequently get tested in patients where I believe their, stress, uh, their thyroid disorder is coming from a place um, of, of stress and not being able to manage their stress properly. I mean, the way that I usually explain it is um, like reverse T3 is like it's a mirror image of free T3 and what it is it blocks the receptors for free T3 and and then causes these deficiency symptoms. But in blood tests, it'll just get lumped together. So you actually have to get the lab to separate them in the results. And so that's when you actually get that breakdown. And then if you look at the – if you've got – the results and you look at T3 and you look at reverse T3, so it's T3 over reverse T3 times 100 should be between 1.06 and 1.13. So if there's T3 dominance, then there'll be a deficiency of the active T3 to act appropriately in the body. And like you said, stress can have a pretty big impact on reverse T3 as well as things like inflammation and insulin resistance. So we'd be wanting to get that tested, wouldn't we? When you're taking thyroxine, that T4 will actually not be converting properly. It will be going down that reverse T3 pathway instead of converting to the active T3. Um, So there's just another reason why reverse T3 should be done and people on thyroxine, thyroxine may not be the most appropriate choice for them then Mm. if they've got higher T3. Yeah, definitely. You need to be looking at all those other factors as well. Mm. So, I mean, I th- I found that, like, underactive thyroid used to just be caused by iodine deficiency. Mm. And while it's still really common for people to be deficient in iodine, particularly here in Australia, along with selenium, because our soil is just not so good, <laughs> they, more often it's the elevated thyroid antibodies yeah. that are causing a problem. And, and like, do you find that there's things in particular that you would be looking at as major causes of elevated antibodies? Most definitely. So I base my whole practice on the concept of adrenal stress and the majority of my patients, when we go through their case history, they can trace back, I guess, the beginning of their symptoms to um, some sort of stressful trigger. And it may not it may not be a divorce or a death in the family or anything like that. It can simply be um, just being a busy mother and juggling kids and work and those sorts of things. So, yeah, for me, stress tends to be the big thing. And when we actually get on top of that stress, and we can't always change stressful things, like if we've got a stressful job, we can't always leave the job, but we can help um, our body deal with the way that it manages that stress. So the adrenal herbs are fantastic. Um, at helping out the body in that way as are certain dietary and lifestyle um, techniques that we may use. Yeah, definitely. I love my um, adrenal herbs and adaptogens and things like that. And then there's some as well that are a lot more specific for when your thyroid is going wonky as well, like with withania, for, mm. for example. Are there any foods or meals that you definitely or regularly recommend for people with thyroid disorders? 
Yeah, definitely. So something like selenium um, from Brazil nuts. Brazil nuts, due to their selenium content, is something that I recommend a lot due to the fact that Brazil nuts contain the highest amount of selenium in any known food. So um, I try to suggest selenium, uh, Brazil nuts every day as part of a snack. And uh, Brazil nuts tend to have quite a strong flavour. So some patients may actually like to... um, break them down and turn them into a bliss ball or add them as a, a, a sprinkle over porridges and, or in a smoothie or something like that. Uh, the other thing I also suggest are organic nori sheets due to their high iodine content. But I guess both of these foods are something that a lot of people find unpalatable due to their strong flavours. So sometimes supplements aren't necessary where people can't um, consume these foods. I definitely love seaweed as a great food source for thyroid health but like you said a lot of people don't like the taste of it so you can get you can get it into your diet in different ways like shred it up into soups and stews I like to also like put a bit of the seaweed sheets into meats and beans and things like that when they're in it when they're cooking because it helps for one to break down the protein a little bit more effectively but it also imparts its minerals and so then you don't you don't discard it after you've done cooking you just sort of break it up and you don't really get that stronger flavor from it Mm. but you can get these really nice snacks of seaweeds have you ever tried the sea shanty ones no oh i love them you can get lots of different flavors and you just eat them like chips oh yum yeah they're really good they're toasted like the nori sheets but just a bit crispier Mm. although I do find you've got to eat them fairly quickly because I have I found one in my cupboard that I didn't realise I had and I opened it up and it was all soft. <laughs> so that, that's going in the cooking liquid. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's a good idea actually. Stocks and things like that, that would be a great place to um, throw the iodine sheets into, seaweed sheets. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, what about maca? Maca, maca is not something I've used myself, but I have had patients that use it and they find that it really helps to regulate their hormones and they feel quite good. I think think it's a good food overall for thyroid and hormones and things like that. The other thing I like is um, coconut oil. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, And coconut creams and coconut milks and... You've got the medium chain triglycerides in that, which are also quite beneficial. And coconut milk can be quite good for people who are off dairy as well, which a lot of people with thyroid disorders are. And so can you talk a little bit more about wheat and thyroid? Sure. So for for a lot of my patients, I do suggest a gluten-free diet, not for all of them, but the research does show that Patients that have an autoimmune condition are much more prone to other autoimmune conditions, particularly celiac disease. So there's a much, much higher incidence of gluten intolerance with patients that have hyperthyroid, um, Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. So it goes without saying that cutting out gluten is one of the first things we try to do just to reduce that risk and to regulate the immune system and reduce inflammation. That's not to say that all patients that have an thyroid autoimmune condition are gluten intolerant um it just takes it takes the pressure off the body and it gets them eating a wider variety of food and really most people find that they notice a dramatic improvement um, for a lot of patients it doesn't have to be a hundred percent gluten-free you know they can do 80 percent gluten-free and and still reap the benefits of the gluten-free diet i do think that we that most people consume 
way too much gluten, so removing it from the diet just opens up the possibility to other whole foods that are more nutrient-dense and that we wouldn't normally consume. Um, yeah, so those are my thoughts on gluten. Soy, my take on soy is that the way that most people are consuming it is completely different to how it was traditionally prepared. So yep. countries such as Japan where they consume a high amount of soy products have, you know, less breast cancer and less estrogen-dominant conditions. But the, the type of soy they con were consuming were things like soybeans um, and naturally derived soy. Whereas here you've got people having soy yogurts and soy bacon and soy sausages and it's it's completely different. So I generally suggest to my patients if they're going to consume soy products, consume, you know, edamame beans and tempeh and things like that, but don't consume the yogurts and the bacon because that isn't whole food. There's there's no nutrient, there's you know, there's no vitality in there. So consume whole foods where possible. And I don't think, um, you know, soy, even soy milks, I don't really think um, fit into a whole food category. I completely agree. And it's just that you eat, as, eat it in the traditional forms, which, as you said, that's it's tempeh and edamame beans and soy sauce. And even miso is really nice as a flavouring mm. agent as well to cook with. Yeah. And I find that um, miso soup is really nice at that sort of 3 o'clock time when you're getting that energy slump. Lovely, yeah, and you can add your seaweed into there. Even as a salad dressing, it's quite nice because it's so salty. You can mix it in with a bit of olive oil um, and the fact that you're not heating it means that you don't destroy the good bacteria in it so it also acts as a prebiotic. Have you ever tried natto? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't either. <laughs> not, not, you can't really get it here in the Hawkesbury, but um, I have read about it and it just it looks like it would be amazing for you particularly for the vitamin k2 content but i don't know about the texture i would give it a go if i had the opportunity yeah <laughs> me too but again that's a it's a traditional form of, of soy and all the fake foods just not not really my cup of tea <laughs> I, I don't i don't think it's yeah particularly great for the body yeah yeah um zinc foods are good too they are. So the thyroid is dependent upon a constant supply of zinc to function optimally. And while I think most people are getting enough zinc in their bodies, so they get, you know, they're getting zinc from meat products and so on, they're actually not absorbing it properly. So I think with thyroid disorders, we really need to be aware that particularly with thyroid antibodies, they actually attack the parietal cells in the gut. So the parietal cells are the cells in the body that are responsible for producing pepsin. Um, which are enzymes for breaking down proteins, but also for secreting hydrochloric acid. And when you have Hashimoto's, for example, the antibodies don't just attack the thyroid gland, they attack the adrenals and they attack those parietal cells so that you have less parietal cells. So you produce, so the parietal cells aren't producing enough hydrochloric acid and you're not going to break down proteins properly. Even though pa patients with Hashimoto's and, and other um, autoimmune thyroid disorders can be consuming a, a lovely healthy diet they may not actually be absorbing it properly due to the fact that that they've they've got these um, antibodies and attacking the parietal cells so 
that's one reason why patients with Hashimoto's typically have really low iron levels. They have low zinc levels and um, supplementation isn't always easy because they can be taking high levels of zinc but still not absorbing it. So it's, I guess from our perspective, it's really, really important to, you know, we're very much involved in treating the driver, the cause, which are the thyroid antibodies and, and trying to reduce them and that's how you fix the thyroid disorder. Yeah, definitely. And it's one of those things that it just keeps going because you need iron, you need zinc mm. for your thyroid function and then having a thyroid problem means that you're going to be more likely to be deficient in it as well. If you're inflamed, then your body will sequester iron so you're not able to actually use it properly and inflammation is a common driver of insulin resistance. It's involved in stress and then they're precursors to thyroid problems and autoimmune problems as well. Mm. So. It's all just so strongly interconnected. Mm. So do you find that you, like we so big on the gut in naturopathic medicine, are you treating the gut as well as the thyroid or do you find you treat the thyroid and the gut sorts itself out? I Yeah, what I do is I even take it a step back further than that. I always treat the adrenals and I treat the stress. And once the stress is reduced, the adrenals, their thyroid seems to fix itself up and the gut seems to fix itself up because... For me, I'm thinking if somebody's really stressed, then they're not going to be producing enough acid. They're not going to be digesting and absorbing well. Um, so just getting them to relax. We all know how we feel when we sit down and we relax and we can enjoy a meal and we eat slowly compared to when we're really stressed, the food will just sit there and you know we're not going to be breaking it down. It's going to be fermenting. We're going to feel more, more bloated. We, we may feel more gassy. So I, I tend to focus a lot on stress. And the research actually shows that stress and high levels of cortisol will cause a dysregulated immune system. So they will actually cause that immune system to go a bit haywire and start attacking the thyroid gland. So my first line of treatment is doing a, an adrenal cortex stress profile and seeing how my patient is managing their stress. And a lot of the time my patients, will, when I ask them, you know, how, what are your stress levels like? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm feeling I'm not that stressed and then when we do their stress profile they actually see that uh-oh well actually I'm not the, the, the from my test it, you know it's showing that I'm actually not managing my stress well and then when we when we work together a few months later they can look back and say oh my gosh I'm actually feeling completely different to how I felt back then I thought I was doing okay but now I'm in a completely different place and I can see I was totally stressed out um before it's amazing how much of an impact stress can have on your other um, hormonal systems. Like the endocrine system is just so interwoven, isn't it? And speaking of other hormones and things like that, what what about estrogen and thyroid? So yeah. estrogen excess or dominance and, and all of that. Absolutely. So high levels of estrogen definitely drive thyroid disorders. And I think what's really interesting if we, if again, if we look at cortisol and the stress hormone there, when people are really stressed, they actually, you need, there's another molecule called pregnenolone and it's actually called the pregnenolone steel, where when you're really, really stressed or your, your pregnenolone is going down a cortisol pathway instead of going down the pathway to make progesterone. So as a result, because all the pregnenolone is going down the cortisol pathway, you become low in progesterone and that automatically causes an estrogen dominant um, situation. Even if you didn't have a lot of estrogen to begin with, because your progesterone is so low, it will automatically cause an estrogen dominant 
situations. So again, there's the benefit of working on those stress levels so that the pregnenolone isn't all going down that that cortisol pathway and it's going down the, the progesterone pathway where it's required. And that's why we see a lot of women coming in period, they're feeling teary and irritable, they've got the axe to the husband's head and they just they just want to kill their husbands. So, <laughs> so after a few months of just working on the thyroid and, and the stress levels, it's amazing how much, um, what a difference they notice in their PMT symptoms. It's really quite lovely for for everyone involved, including the husbands and the children. <laughs> it's just about getting getting to the base of the problem, isn't it? And so the stress is the, the very bottom. And I and think the- that conventional medicine really misses that. They just say, you know, and while thyroxine is useful, it, it's just not it's not the big the whole picture and it's just giving you one, one hormone there, but it's not dealing with the cause. And that's why so many thyroid patients take the thyroxine, but they actually don't feel better. At all, and that again can be because they're not converting the T4 to T3 as well. Yeah, because the the thyroxine is T4, and we need to convert that to T3 to actually be active in the cells. And if you've got a nutritional deficiency or you've got something up, something else hampering that conversion, then it's not going to be helpful for you at all. Mm. But um, and so they just keep increasing the dose of the thyroxine or taking it at different times and that sort of thing. And I think it's. I actually think it can be extremely valuable and helpful for a lot of people, but you've still got to treat the cause. I mean, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of um, people who have been told by their specialists not to take iodine or not to take anything Mm. alongside thyroxine. Mm. And I think that I can understand it on one point because it's not, it's going to actually affect your thyroid levels, Mm. but in the good way. And yes, you're going to notice changes, but you yeah. can monitor that. You can you can go with it. Yeah, look, I was told that by my when I first saw an endocrinologist when I was diagnosed, and I said, you know, what about iodine and and this and that? And she said, oh, look, no amount of iodine is going to help you now. And it was actually quite a disempowering um, situation. Um, and I don't agree that that iodine doesn't have a place. In fact, I've used, I use it in selenium and zinc and iron and all the other nutrients um, with all my patients and myself too because, you know, I do believe that we are what we eat and if you don't have a certain nutrients, then of course things aren't going to work properly. So those very nutrients are the building blocks. That the thyroid won't function without them. So I, I just don't understand why um, all patients aren't given given those nutrients. Um, the right amount is what's important. So when people go and take iodine by itself, that's when they run into problems because too much will have a suppressant action on the thyroid, but too little is also not a good thing. So it's actually about you know measuring how much someone's getting and then um, increasing the dose to the right level for them. And that's different for every single person, which is why every single person who has a thyroid disorder needs to be tested because we can't just guess and give a standard dose um, because everyone's just a little bit different. And you want to be giving all the other sort of cofactors alongside iodine, like your selenium and your tyrosine and and all of that. So it's it's actually going to allow it to work better in the body and, and be protective. In nature, you don't really see foods that have iodine alone. They've got everything all together. Like you see, seafoods have selenium alongside the iodine. It's just the way that it should be. No, that's right. 
selenium protects against the iodine and excess and then but yeah i mean it, all all your other things and yeah the tyrosine as mm. well that's another one that mm. is really important in your vitamin d yes vitamin d is really really important. and i don't know i think we all know that there's an epidemic of people that are deficient due to the fact that we tend to be working indoors a lot and vitamin d has actually been shown to not only regulate that overactive immune system, but it's also been shown to protect against thyroid cancer. And people that have an autoimmune thyroid condition, both Graves and Hashimoto's, have a much higher incidence of thyroid cancer due to the inflammation and oxidative stress that occurs in that thyroid area. And that's usually in patients that are just on thyroid medication where the antibodies aren't being attended to. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, this on blood tests it looks okay because they're not testing for the antibodies um, but obviously the inflammation and oxidative stress is such a problem there so that's why from a naturopathic perspective we, we're all about the antibodies and getting those down because while they're there um, they're not really doing you any good at all D for a healthy thyroid and it's just and particularly when there is the antibodies because of the effect on the immune system and a lot of people are um, finding that their levels are low and you, you can't just rely on sunlight in that instance. No. no, you need to get your blood levels around 100 to 120 if there's a thyroid issue, I, I personally think. Um, and just your sunlight isn't going to cut the mustard in that case. Yeah, that's right. Look, with, with the research shows that severe vitamin D deficiency has been demonstrated in those with autoimmune thyroid disease and it's associated with an increased presence of the antibodies, increased thyroid volume and also adverse outcomes in pregnancy for people that have a thyroid disorder and uh, are pregnant. So it's really important to get those levels up um, hopefully before you become pregnant. Yeah. That's a really interesting point as well and that's another thing I wanted to talk about was thyroid problems in pregnancy and that one like your thyroid levels do change in pregnancy and you, you are more inclined to be more hyper which is like a fairly normal thing and and also what about postpartum thyroid problems oh look postpartum thyroid problems are something i see so frequently in my practice and it's something that i experienced myself i'm pretty sure i had the hashimoto's before but it, it definitely aggravated um after i had my daughter so when we're pregnant part of our immune system kind of switches off because we've got the the foreign DNA in there from from our partner, um, and it doesn't always switch on properly again um, once once we've had the baby. But I think this combined with the stress of having a new baby, no matter how much you want a new baby and how much you love it, if if your body's already not working well um, because you've got this genetic tendency for a thyroid disorder, and then you couple that with not enough sleep, um, the, the stress of a baby crying, and and all of that, um, then you you really have a, a high risk of somebody manifesting that thyroid disorder um, postpartum. And um, particularly in women who are breastfeeding and not taking a supplement or they haven't had their iodine levels tested before pregnancy, um, you've really got a recipe for disaster because the baby's requirements, you know, you're going to be losing a lot of your nutrients through breastfeeding and giving birth um, and so on. So, yeah, postpartum uh, thyroid disorder is something I see a lot um, in my patients. So you really need to be taking steps to prevent that, like, while you're actually pregnant. So take your 
iodine, your tyrosine, vitamin D, selenium, zinc, all of that, so that like you're not losing all of it dramatically. And zinc's one that you lose a lot of in the placenta itself when you give birth, and so you often we would traditionally be eating that placenta. Um, what it, have you ever looked at placenta encapsulation or anything like that? It's, it's something I'm strongly considering. Yeah, look, I didn't do it my, my daughter, but it's something that I would do again. Um, if I have a child, um, definitely do it. Um, very nutritious. Yeah, look, dried and encapsulated. Going back to what you were, were saying about um, thyroid and pregnancy, I think it's really important for patients to understand that the thyroid gland actually produces 50% more thyroid hormones during pregnancy to maintain a normal state. So there's there's a much higher workload for it during that, that pregnancy state. So if it doesn't happen off of the nutrients, then this is, you know, a really um, common time when the thyroid can aggravate. And for patients taking thyroxine, for example, if, if they're not being managed with supplements and herbs and things like that, they often need to increase their medication by about 20 to 30% in the first trimester just to manage those increased requirements. Uh, thyroid is really, really important for a healthy pregnancy and even in conceiving because thyroid problems can certainly affect fertility as well. So iodine is so important in pregnancy and even in preconception because it's such an essential component of thyroid hormones. It plays a critical role in, you know, above brain and neurological development. But unfortunately what we're seeing is that patients' urinary iodine isn't being tested preconception. Some, you know, it's just assumed that because they're taking the preconception um, vitamins that they'll have enough iodine. But some people need more than what is actually in the pregnancy or the prenatal um, vitamin and mineral supplement. So again, testing is really important. Yeah, and you and you see people being given. Well, it used to just be folic acid, and like that's a whole other sort of um, discussion. But now it's ifolic, which is folic acid and iodine, and then just remembering what we were just talking about before about how you can't just have iodine on its own you need all those other cofactors and if you look at some of the um, prenatal multis out there they don't have that that's right they don't have an adequate dose if there is actually a problem anyway and so just taking a high dose of iodine alongside with a subpar multi is just insufficient to really treat any issues and so that's when you see problems arising I think that um, thyroid problems can be a really big cause of depression. Oh, I just had a patient the other day actually who came in and she had been diagnosed with um, postpartum depression and it was her second child and she thought, no, look, I know that I, I've had depression before. I know that this is actually something different. Um, and she was so tired but she knew and people kept – Specialists kept saying, oh, look, it's just because you've had a new baby that you're tired. And she, she's already had a child. So she knew, well, no, it's actually something quite different. And we did her um, blood test and she's actually hypothyroid. She's not, she hasn't got, you know, depression. She's got like a mood disorder associated with with Hashimoto's. So once the, the thyroid is improved, the mood will improve straight away. Definitely. It's such a big thing and then you're just getting people sort of disregarded as being it's just depression. Um, 
another one that I find is really common to sort of say, all right, we'll, we'll just treat you for that, and I, and it might actually be related to thyroid problems is high cholesterol. Oh my gosh! <laughs> like it's the second. I mean, isn't it? It's the second leading cause of high cholesterol. Mm. And you know, the cancer research actually states that everybody who has high cholesterol should be tested for a thyroid disorder. But unfortunately, it's not being done and they're just being put on statins or they're being told to change their diet. And this is one situation where really diet doesn't make a lot of difference. So if you are changing your diet and your cholesterol is still high, then be thinking, uh-oh, I may have a thyroid disorder. And this is what happened to me. I had high cholesterol for such a long time and, you know, during this period I was actually a vegetarian. I didn't consume any meats. My cholesterol was like I wasn't getting a lot of cholesterol from food or anything like that. And, you know, I was told, oh, you've got to change your diet, stop eating so many avocados even though they don't contain cholesterol anyway. Avocados, oh, yeah, because they're so bad for you. No cholesterol in them anyway. Um, And it was just that my thyroid wasn't functioning properly and the thyroid's job is to, you know, help with cholesterol excretion in the bile. So if you've got hypothyroid, it won't be doing that. It will be slow and sluggish and your cholesterol will be building up. You know, on, on the flip side with hyperthyroid, we see the opposite. We see patients who have abnormally um, low cholesterol levels and that's because their thyroid hormone is just clearing it out way too quick. So it's quite interesting and it, it does amaze me that, um, you know, it's not picked up more as a thorough disorder this isn't investigated more low cholesterol isn't such a great thing anyway like it's actually a healing agent in the body obviously you want to keep it within a certain range particularly if you've got a family history but look at the underlying cause of why it's happening look i yeah i just had a patient this morning actually who high, has high cholesterol has had it for such a long time has told been told oh it's just your family history but actually her tsh is 6.5 so I don't think it's anything to do with, you know, a familial trend or anything. It's just that her thyroid isn't working properly. And you see it time and time That's again. That's yeah, pretty high TSH. Thyroid, you know, put back to normal, the goes down automatically. You just see it over and over again. How long would you find it would take to drop? Thyroid, the TSH. The, the um, cholesterol levels once you start treating the thyroid, if that's the cause. Well, it really depends on the patient and the driver of their thyroid disease. So I have seen it drop within, uh, go back to normal within a couple of months. If the TSH is something like 6.5 and it isn't too bad, that can happen really, really quickly. Um, Really, I guess it also depends on compliance and things like that with, with patients, you know, how much that they're able to do in terms of managing their stress and how compliant they are with their herbs and their supplements. All those things really, they do matter. Um, but, you know, I've had patients that have had completely and they haven't taken any medication. They've they've gotten back there, they've changed their TSH and it's all back to normal within six months just taking herbs and supplements. Um, others, it takes longer if the, the source of their stress isn't able to be remedied, say, um, particularly with with women who have babies and things like that it's a little bit it takes a bit longer yeah it's such an individual thing like you can have this um thyroid condition that you can get on top of really quickly if you catch it early and if you're doing everything right and and you're addressing the stress aspect but if you uh have had it undetected for such a long time and you're still eating 
foods that you shouldn't be eating, like, for instance, the wheat or a lot of soy or you're not compliant with taking your herbs and your vitamins and, and all of that, then it will take a little bit longer. Well, I think sleep is, is a really big thing here and this is something that I really try and get all my patients to do. Sleep is when we, we rest and we rejuvenate. And so if thyroid and adrenal patients, I try to get my patients to bed by, you know, they're asleep by 10, so that means they're in bed at 9.30 and they're winding down. And, um, you know, they're getting enough sleep. Thorough patients need more than seven or eight hours sleep. Their body's not working efficiently. So if they're waking up in the morning and they're unrefreshed, they need you need more sleep because sleep's when you repair and re- rejuvenate. So when your cortisol levels, um, but at about 10 o'clock, your cortisol levels should be nice and low. They're our stress hormone. But if you're still awake and you're exposed to light and computers, your cortisol levels will be high and as a result, your growth hormone will be low. But what we want is our growth hormone to be at a, a high level because growth hormone, as the name suggests, is responsible for growth, repair and rejuvenation in the body. And with a lot of my, my mums, um, my patients that have kids and are doing things, they put their kids to bed and then at 10 o'clock they get this second wind where they suddenly have time to do the ironing or read the paper. And while that's their time, in terms of their overall healing response, they're better off being in bed so that their, their growth hormone can take over, repair and heal the thyroid. And, you know, uh, sleep has a big part to play here and sleeping at the right time. And so we see all the time patients who are doing shift work. So, for example, I see a lot of nurses because I have a hospital near me. They suffer from a lot of thyroid disorders because they're actually living um, kind of the opposite way as to nature intended. And it's so hard to actually manage that, isn't it? Because you can't get around that. That's your that's your job. Yeah. So, that, again, here that's where the adrenal herbs so beautiful. They just help adapt to the stress that it's being placed. And that, again, eating regularly um, can be really, really important for, stri- uh, for shift workers because that tends to go um, kind of whack too. And t- taking your temperature in the morning can be a good way of gauging what your thyroid's doing, apart from your symptoms as well. So, your basal body temperature. So you, you take it your first thing before you get out of bed. You don't want to move around too much. And so if it's consistently low, that, that can indicate that your metabolism, that your thyroid function is really a little bit low. I find taking a bit of sugar, a bit of salt in first thing in the morning, just like a tiny little bit of food, and then you have your breakfast within an hour or so, can really help just to sort of give your body a bit of fuel. It says, it's all right, you're not starving. And then like with good quality salt in there, you're getting your minerals that you need for your adrenal glands as well. Yeah, so, all right, so what would be your favourite herb for thyroid problems? Oh, my favourite herb for thyroid problems is probably rhodiola. And it's not a specific thyroid herb in the way that you would see, you know, bladderwrack or or bugleweed as being very specific, but it's one of my favourite adaptogen herbs. And as I've said, for me and my patients, what I see is that stress tends to be the the real problem and stress tends to be hampering thyroid function and stopping that conversion um, because, as we know, high levels of cortisol stop the thyroid from working properly and stop that conversion of T4 to T3. So I find rhodiola really helps to take the edge off um, things for my patients that are juggling a lot of things. Um, and 
one of the best things about it is that it's also a beautiful, mild antidepressant. So for patients mm-hmm. that are experiencing a bit of melancholy or just lacking motivation and feeling a little bit blah, um, which you do when, say, you've got hypothyroid, the rhodiologist, it, it just gives them a little bit of a pickup and it just allows them to adapt to stress better and to function better. So, you know, typically patients will say to me, so a common thing is they're at the supermarket, for example, there's two bottles of tomato sauce, they're both the same price, and because they're so adrenally fatigued, they spend five minutes trying to decide which one to get. (laughs) And, you know, they're both exactly the same, but when you are adrenally fatigued and you have hypothyroid, your ability to make quick, easy decisions becomes impaired. When you're taking a herb like rhodiola, all of a sudden you feel like you can function again. You can power through the day without having to drink, you know, eight coffees and so on and you're nicer to your your family and your kids and the things that, you know, you shouldn't be ticking you off. You can get through all those things. So my favourite herb that I use bundles of is rhodiola for that mm-hmm. reason. It just gives you that, that little bit of an edge. Um, and in clinical studies, it's been shown, you know, when – shift workers have to do really menial tasks and really difficult stuff like thread, um, put thread through needles um, with really tiny little heads. They can do it better when they have rhodiola. So, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I I love bacopa. Mm, I like bacopa too. Yeah, yeah. and it does, that's one that's really good for the brain fog mm. symptoms that you get with thyroid problems. And then with hyperthyroidism, I think – Motherwort is one of my favourites because it's like a hug in a bottle (laughs) and it's really great for palpitations and that sort of agitated racing feeling. Yeah, for hyper, I I really like lemon balm. Yes. Beautiful herb that actually works on stopping the antibodies from attacking the thyroid gland, but it's also a lovely anxiolytic. So patients with hyperthyroid tend to have a lot of anxiety um, due to the fact that the thyroid is working so fast. And lemon balm, again, just helps to calm everything down and it settles the tummy, which can often mm-hmm. be affected in hypothyroid. So that's that's probably my favourite there. If you grow it, you could make a tea out of it as well. Mm-hmm. It would be lovely. Beautiful. I have done that before. It's lovely. Mm. It's like if you're buying the dry stuff to make a tea out of, that's not going to be so great because the actual um, volatile oils on the lemon balm that give it its efficacy is in the little hairs on the, on the top of the leaf. And so they're so fragile. And if you break those hairs and the volatile oils can just evaporate. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, when you're growing it and you, and you make it straight away, you're getting that. The only mm-hmm. thing that I suggest is that you just put a uh, saucer over the top of the cup. Mm. And that just helps to stop those oils from evaporating. And the same thing with chamomile, actually. Mm-hmm. Because uh, again, you're relying on those beautiful essential oils. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah. So thank you so much for talking. I hope we can do this again. Yes, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> um, how can people get in touch with you if they're interested? Well, you can find me on Facebook under Lisa Costabee Naturopath or via my website, lisacostabeenaturopath.com. Dot au. <laughs> yes, I think so. I can't remember. <laughs> well, that's what Google's for. <laughs> you get sort of spelling errors and <laughs> grammatical mistakes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's leasecostabeer.com.au. Perfect. 
All right, so are you back to clinic now? I am, yes. Excellent. Oh, well, have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you, Alison. Thank you so much. Okay.